Joining me on the podcast today is Dr Charlie Cork. Charlie was born and educated in England and trained at St Bartholomew's Hospital in London. He completed his physician and anaesthetics training in the UK before moving via Hong Kong to Australia where he completed his ICU training. He developed units in both Melbourne and Geelong, is a current member of the board of the College of Intensive Care Medicine and an active fellowship examiner, and he's been a mentor to many young intensivists, including myself. Charlie, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. That's my pleasure. Charlie, you've been researching and publishing in the area of end-of-life care for many years now in ICU. How did this become an interest area for you? You wrote an article in 2010 with Bill Sylvester and Ronaldo Belomo about end-of-life care and raised two terms. I don't know whether you coined them or not, but they're terms that I'd not come across before. Dysthanasia and eleothanasia, is that correct? Yes, yes. I was wondering if you could explain those terms. struck me as being if not intended but one of the positive effects of that was to stimulate some conversation on this area Charlie has has that been the case? I think so, I think so What what do you think we need to do to enhance that discussion now? Well I think we need to move away from the despair about um, our inability to make decisions at the end of life both as individuals as family members and as doctors into something where we begin to think about it, we begin to do it in a more effective way and work out effective processes that actually work. Why is it that we have so much trouble discussing this issue? As you said, it's something that we have a lot of contact with in intensive care particularly, but other, in other areas of the acute health system too. Why is it that we have so much trouble discussing this topic? and want 
raise the issue of surrogate decision makers there, Charlie, and I know that you've done some work into this. It seems that there's sometimes a discrepancy between what family members and the patient would want for themselves in these sorts of situations. Yes, in one particular study that we did where we looked at the surrogate decision making for elderly relatives, in that one we were able to show that although the surrogate felt that the treatment was inappropriate and also recognised that it wasn't what the person themselves wanted, when push came to shove and they were popped in the and we told them that the relative was in the emergency department and sick, they all wanted treatment, um, although they knew it wasn't what the person wanted and it wasn't appropriate. And I find that fascinating. What were the reasons for that sort of behaviour? Were you able to tease that out? Yes. strategies that we can employ to assist the families in, in getting through those barriers? Well, I think it's, it, 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 I think personally it's about the autonomy of the person themselves and making their decision making more, much firmer and much clearer. Um, in other words, instead of making a vague suggestion to your family about what you might want, it needs to jack up, I think, to something of saying, I really, really do want this and if you don't do it, I'm going to be very unhappy. <laughs> sort of discussion is happening in the community? I don't think it's happening quite yet. I think it is in some areas, but I think it's generally quite weak, and I think the way in which people are expressing their advanced directives are quite weak at the moment, and, the, and a weak advanced directive really is, is not helpful to families to make decisions, and it's also not helpful for doctors to feel confident in the decision-making. And it is necessary for both the doctor and the, and the family to feel totally confident that the decision they're making is exactly what the person wants. You mentioned advanced care directives there. I understand that you did some research into how those sorts of um, documents are perceived by medical practitioners as well. Could you comment on that? think that is? What's the, the problem there?
the result of that trial, I think, or the one of the things that you commented on afterwards was the use of a supplement for that um, that advanced care directive. What were you referring to there? Well, the supplement was saying that, 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 that this was to really try to increase the strength of the person's um, of, the, of the the agent's position. So, so one of the comments in the supplement was to say, as, as for the patient to say, when I'm appointing this person to represent me, I really do want them their wishes, their, their choices to be respected. And also, I the, another point was. I don't expect them to be a perfect decision maker and to predict exactly what I want, but I think their decision is probably going to be closer than someone I've never met. And I think that's very important for the surrogate as well, because a lot of surrogates, we say, well, are you certain that your decision's right? Well, how can you ever be certain that your decision's right if the patient subsequently dies? They can never tell you, thank you very much, you did the right thing. <laughs> but I am worried that where we have this problem that uh, can you can you be 100% certain that the decision you're making is what the person would want? Um, for people who are doubtful, they, there's no way you can ever resolve that. So I think to say, I want you to make a good decision and not focusing on the absolute necessity of that decision being exactly what the person would want, um, you know, a little bit of doubt and absolving them from guilt if there's a little bit of doubt is very important, I think. It seems to me that the, the, the majority of this problem can be solved by early clear decision-making with the family, but we often find that that's not the case, don't we, and patients arrive in intensive care with an unclear direction on their care. How do we as clinicians overcome that? Well, I think we need to make the process of thinking about it a lot easier, and I think that we need some strategies to do that. Um, at the moment, you know, the discussions are very vague and the stuff that comes out of the vague discussions is really not enough for us to um, have the degree of certainty that we want about uh, what, what people's values are and wishes are. And I think we need... Some people who are quite intelligent can do it and also people that have a lot of exposure to the medical system and understand a bit more about what, uh, how you can get stuck in, in a situation that you wouldn't want. That's very true. It's it's very difficult to explain, or I would imagine comprehend the the potential outcomes from a stay in ICU for for people who don't have that sort of background. Yes, I don't think they understand. The, they don't understand the process of what it's all about. They don't understand the outcomes that we're talking about. Um, and um, without that knowledge, it, it is difficult. But also, they perhaps don't have imagination about what they might think about being in a nursing home or, or being unable to um, recognise their family or, uh, or some of the long-term difficult situations that arise. You do need an imagination or some experience to recognise that. And perhaps the media don't convey that as well as we might like. There also seems to be a disconnect between what the community expects from us and what we're able to provide too, isn't there? There's that famous study uh, looking at uh, the outcomes of CPR on television shows versus the real uh, life figures.
Do you think that there's an appreciation in the community that they don't understand or that they can't see? What is it that they want from us in these discussions? I think that they... I think people need... Uh, I think people need... Personally, what I think is that they need help to think about the things that are important to them and to express those. Because I don't think this is really about individual treatments. I think this is about goals in life and where you are in your journey and what you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to go and I think we'd be careful with the term want I mean you wouldn't accept going to so for me I wouldn't accept going to a nursing home I can't see any value in um, sitting in a nursing home and I think the frustrations for me would be massively greater than the benefits and so I've got a fairly clear view personally about that, that now other people won't share that they would be able to make the best of it and see value in it. And that's an important difference. And I think that's the sort of thing we need to understand. Now you've looked at also at the, the type of advice that um, patients want from their caregiver, haven't you? Yes. I mean, I've, I've, I've reviewed the literature about, about uh, giving the doctor giving an opinion, and there's very clear... Um, evidence that people who are sick want the doctor to want to know the doctor's opinion what they actually do with that opinion is uh, variable but they want to know what it is i mean they may want you to lead them it may be so difficult for them to make a decision that they just want you to tell them what to do and it takes away the the, the, the worry about it they may just want to know what you think in order to sort of match it about what they are thinking and help them to come to a conclusion and they may just want to not want to know what it is but put it right right in the background and may sort of just do something completely different but just want to know where you're at so it, but but to say nothing and just list out options i think we is inadequate I know that you've, um, you've attempted to address this with the development of a program called When Enough is Enough. Can you tell me what the aims of that program were? The main aim of that program was for junior doctors to get a strategy for how to deal with a patient who was physiologically appalling and, um, but, but also had a lot of comorbidities and to come to a conclusion with the patient about what the right thing to do was. So is enough enough or is, does the patient want more? And how to come to that conclusion. And what that was about was about trying to help the doctors to understand the need to talk about the person and their values and fears at the same time as having some understanding of the medical condition that they have. So you've got to put the medical condition that the patient has with an understanding of what that, who that person is and what they value and what they fear. And if you put those two things together, then you can come to an opinion about what would be, what might be a, a reasonable choice for that patient, and then you can put that to the patient. But if you don't know anything about the patient and you're just doing it on the physiology or the histology or whatever that they've got, then you can miss out on a whole lot of stuff about how the person feels about their life and what they're prepared to undergo in terms of treatment, what outcomes they're prepared to accept. And in that course, you know, I used a, a slide for, and a quote from William Osler, um, a physician at the turn of the century, who said it's more important to know what sort of person this disease has than what sort of disease this person has. I think we have to help everybody. I think we've got to help doctors to think in a different way and think about the person as well as the disease. I think we've got to help families.
agents need much more. I mean, there's no course that helps an agent to do this, and I feel for people that are suddenly dropped in it, particularly when they've just been written down as an agent by their lawyer, and they suddenly find that they've actually got to do it, and they're negotiating with a neurosurgeon. You know, it's tough. Mm. And I think that people, that patients themselves need to, uh, to, to uh, make their wishes much, much, much clearer, and we, we need to help them to do that. So there's all sorts of exciting things to do to make this better, and I'm certainly not planning to despair and retire on the basis of this. I'm excited that there's some great things that we can do to make it better. It's wonderful that this conversation is, is happening, Charlie. It seems that this is something we're probably going to have to deal with more and more. Charlie, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for talking to me. My pleasure. More podcasts like this one can be found at our website, www.crit-iq.com.au.